There are three things I want to say before I begin this morning. One is this particular sermon is three weeks long. You only get point one today. And to catch the entirety of the message, you have to hang in for two more weeks. So it's important to know that. The second point is this message may not be exactly for you because we all find ourselves in different places today. But if it's not for you, it's for a close friend of yours. And so it's gonna help you, whether it's exactly for you, or it's a message you need to share with a close friend of yours. And the third thing I would say is there is a folder in the lobby that goes along with this message so that if you wanna process the material that's in it later, you can take that folder. And if you're watching online, then that folder is on the church website under the Sunday Services tab, and you can find it there. Those are the preliminary disclaimers. You've seen the images on television, I know, of a community that has been devastated by a tornado and everything has just been wiped away. And you've watched, as I have, uh, painfully as families start to return and kick through the rubble. It's, it's not a pleasant thing to watch or endure. And uh, if, if you can put yourself in the place of the people that are doing that, you can only begin to imagine how difficult that might be. Many years ago, when Nancy and I were first uh, pastoring, we lived in a small town in upstate New York and about a half a mile from our house. Um, well, the entire town experienced the weather event, but there were homes that were just swept completely off their foundation. And I don't mean moved off their foundation, I mean destroyed and the landscape littered. And I, and I walked across the concrete slab and, and you know, the, the broken pipes and stuff that are coming up from the slab from where the utilities used to service the house, but there's, there's nothing there anymore. You know, prayerfully grateful the family was not home, you know, when this happened. But it's, it's an odd thing to walk through uh, the ruins, the, the rubble, the wreckage, the aftermath of a tragedy like that. I mean, what goes, what goes through a person's mind as they surveyed the wreckage of what was the setting of their lives. How do you, how do you uh, cope with that? And I think at some level, um, after the year that we've experienced, many of us find ourselves in similar places. We may still have our home, and some of that's because the government has frozen evictions, but many areas of our lives are in ruins. And, and what goes through your mind as you consider the losses, what, what we've experienced over the last nine months or so? Fortunately, uh, and surprisingly to some level, I guess, the Bible actually speaks to this. We, we have record of similar situations in Scripture where, where the Lord speaks and has a wisdom and guidance for us. And I think to, to understand what God is saying to us today, we have to look back into Israel's history 
and remember some of their experiences and what God did in the life of his people. I think you remember your Bible history well enough to remember back in 786, the Assyrians conquered the northern tribes of Israel. Ten tribes of the kingdom of Israel in the north. Assyria comes, wipes them out, devastates those, carts some of the people away. The nation is utterly destroyed, conquered violently. That's decimation. And it's about 200 years later where the same thing happens to the southern kingdom. The two tribes are just ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Many people carried into exile. The temple completely destroyed. And so Israel is in ruins. It's rubble. And after a couple generations pass, Cyrus the Great, the foreign king, issues an edict and allows some of the Israeli captives to return to Jerusalem to begin the process of rebuilding. Eventually, Darius will allow more to come back to aid in the assistance of rebuilding. But I've been wondering to myself, what do those people think when they come back to what they left generations ago? I mean, what do they expect to find there? I mean, not everyone was deported from the land. Did they think the people who didn't get exiled maybe had been working on cleaning the place up and that maybe half the temple would re be rebuilt when they got back? Or, or what were their expectations? And the reality is nothing was done. It's just rubble. And what are they thinking when they make this trip back from captivity to their ancestral homeland? Are they thinking, what's next? Are they thinking, how do we get back to normal? How do we establish a life in this place where life has been utterly decimated? I wonder what was going through their minds. I wonder, I wonder what's going through our minds when we think about the broken places in our lives, the things that have been lost, destroyed, damaged beyond recognition. It's my sense that it's hard to grieve and move forward if we don't time, take time to identify the actual losses, if we don't take time to take inventory and sit down and think about what's actually lost, we end up in this state of just general malaise, just not, if not feeling right, feeling off, not sure how to move forward or backwards. If we don't take time to actually look at what was lost, grieve it, and begin to acknowledge it and deal with it, we don't make any progress. We just say sort of lost and uncomfortable and out of sorts and stuck. And so I think it's helpful. Something I want to try this morning is to identify some of the things that we've lost and to grieve some of that. And it may be that some of these things will ring a bell in your mind and you'll say, yeah, that's something I've lost. Other things perhaps won't, but it's good to take a a look at what's been lost. Uh, I, I know you're aware that we've had significant physical losses. Some of us have lost jobs. Because of that, we've uh, lost income. We've lost a sense of stability or security. Uh, some of us have lost relatives to death. I mean, we heard about Eddie and his family just today who lost a cousin, a pastor in Hartford. Uh, who died of COVID. 
And, and these are really significant, very tangible losses to us. But there are other losses, some not as visible perhaps, uh, that we need to take account of. We've lost routines and patterns of living. We've lost the style and method of our working. For some of us, we've lost child supervision. You say, well, you know, well, we've lost child supervision. We're used to taking care of our kids for the time they get up in the morning till they go to school. And from the time they get home from school till the time they go to bed. And you throw in an extra eight hours of child supervision? That's not a small thing, as any of you who are supervising children know. It messes up everything. Well, I don't know messes up is exactly the right word. But everything has changed. Everything's different. And all the systems and patterns crumble. Some of you had uh, programs you were involved in that were moving towards a particular closing time four years of college, three years of internship, and hopefully many of those programs are still intact chronologically, but many are not. And things are gonna be changing, unsettled, unstable because of those losses. Some of you have just lost your work to play ratio. We rely on that. We rely on times of rest and recreation to energize us for the work that we do. And when those ratios are messed up, when, the, when I'm working all day and supervising children, teaching them what they're supposed to be learning in school in the evening, my work day just got extended so long that there's no time for rest and recuperation. And I'm wearing out and I'm tired and I'm miserable and I'm irritable and you know how that works at home. Some of you have very recently experienced with all of us the loss of your holiday traditions. Those holiday traditions are important things for us. Those are some of the things that inject energy back into our lives, things we look forward to, things that shore up our familiar relationships. And, and when you lose those things, there's a significant loss. Some of us have just lost a sense of how things ought to work. You know, we sort of rely on our, on our routines and our patterns to, to help us know whether things are moving in the right direction or not. And, and right now, we just don't know. The experts don't agree about anything. So who do we trust? Who do we, who do we anchor our opinions about how life ought to work in when there's no solid foundation or standing place that seems to be safe? as if these losses weren't enough, there's plenty more. We've suffered significant relational losses. We've lost the ability to be with our friends, especially for those of us who are extroverted, that ability to recharge our emotional energies with our friends has been very difficult. And while some of us have just lost contact with our friends, Others, because of the difficulty these days, have just out and out lost friends. There are people that we just can't talk to anymore. We find them on the other side of the political divide or the other side of how I understand what this virus really is. Some of us have, have felt betrayed by our friends 
our friends not taking care to protect our safety the way we think we should. And so, and so there are grievances and grudges that are being carried and there's division. And, and we don't have the friend base we once had. Some of us have lost respect for people we once respected. Some of us have lost role models. And the loss of a role model can leave us floundering. Some of us have just lost the anticipated help we expected in a time of crisis. I think you know what I mean. We, we come to rely on people to assist us when we're in, in hard times. And some of the people we just expected to check up on us or, or to see how we're doing, their help disappeared during these times. It may have been that they were just self-absorbed with their own problems or were grieving their own losses. Or it may just be that they never really were that invested in us to begin with. And these times reveal our friendships for what they are. Or, or it may just be that people got lost in all of this. And we feel abandoned and betrayed. There are emotional losses we've suffered Some of us just find ourselves much more afraid of everything. When many things become less stable, it's easier to believe that nothing is stable, that nothing is reliable. We have an increased fear of sickness or of enduring the losses that we see our friends enduring. We have a loss of optimism, of confidence. Some of that brings with it a loss of stamina because we're tired, not getting rest, a loss of hope. I wish I could say that those were the only losses we were experiencing. But if we're honest, we've had spiritual losses as well. We've endured the loss of fellowship, of the camaraderie and support of Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. We've lost many of our patterns of worship. Yes, we're We're better than many who still, I mean, I have many colleagues who still are not able to meet back with their family in worship. Nancy and I strolled past a church we used to pastor this past weekend, and when we looked at the sanctuary, their sanctuary is so small that usually they run 150 people in worship, but they can only safely social distance 26. And so you only have the ability to come to church less than once a month in order to socially distance in that particular state, which is a hot spot for the virus at the moment. Some of the craziness of our our lives has destroyed our devotional patterns and our disciplined prayer life. We may even have lost confidence or trust in God during these days. I'm really grateful today to be able to look back into God's word and say, He's addressed situations like ours. This this isn't a surprise to him. He knows what we're going through. And he's addressed this with these kinds of words. This is Isaiah 61. These words are written to Israel when they're standing in the rubble of their decimated temple, of their decimated city, and asking themselves the same questions. What's next? Where do we go from here? Is there any hope to be found in these broken stones? What does the future hold? This is the word of the Lord. Isaiah 61. 
The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to release the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. There is a future. God can be trusted and he comes to proclaim good news to us right in the middle of the ruins of our lives and in the debris of the landscape. I think the first task when you're stuck sifting through the rubble is to assess what's, what's worth saving and what's not. In that same church in New York some years ago, we helped the congregation build their first sanctuary. And once the walls were erected, we had a company come in and set the trusses for the roof to go on. And after the trusses had been set and everything had been cross-braced, one of those big winds came through and blew all the trusses down. Just completely collapsed the entire upper structure of the building. And we walked in and saw the the splintered remains of the trusses, the walls pushed out from where the trusses had landed. And, and we were broken at that. We were a small congregation. We were a congregation of maybe 50 people trying to build their first church. And it was a devastating result. And we didn't understand. We couldn't understand why God would permit something like that to happen to us. And so we, we kicked through the ruins and you began to consider what the next step was. And in time, we began to realize some things. We realized that we had lost some time. We were insured we didn't lose any money. And in fact, some neighbor we didn't know donated the money to cover the insurance deductible for us. So we lost some time. And then we began to realize that there was a lot of wood in those broken trusses. And it would just take some elbow grease to salvage it. Now, we couldn't use those trusses. They were certifiably unusable by the engineers and the insurance company. But the wood in them could make shelves and anything non-structural. And when we had tallied up how much wood we had, it was thousands of dollars of wood because most of the wood was salvageable. And I think that's part of what we're after now. We, we've got to kick around in the rubble and figure out what's salvageable and what's not. I would go so far as to say this. In Israel's day, as the people return and are looking at the ruins, 
What God has done in that day is cleared the landscape, wiped the slate clean, and given them a fresh start to rebuild. In Israel's day, it was because Israel had built poorly and they needed things swept away. In our day, it's not exactly the same reality. COVID is not because we did things poorly. COVID is the natural consequence of living in a fallen creation. But still, we live in ruins. And so the process becomes the same. To, to inspect what's left and decide what we're going to do. And it may be that when we're doing this inspection, we discover that we are trapped by some things, perhaps in the same way Israel was. I don't know if you've ever watched any episodes of the television show Hoarders, but you know it's possible for some folks to become trapped by their possessions. They, they just don't know how to escape from it, and so they need professional help to come in and help just clear the landscape so they can get a fresh start. And I would suggest that it's easy for all of us to become trapped, maybe not by possessions, but by routines, by expectations of others. I mean, there's a whole range of things that, well, our desire to have things the same ends up being a trap for us, and we get caught in things. And when ruinous times like these come, when our lives are disrupted, when we find ourselves in the ruins, there is an opportunity to rebuild that doesn't come around every day. And so I think what God is saying to Israel, don't so much focus on the brokenness of these ruins. Think about the opportunity that is ours now to rebuild and to step into a different kind of future, a future in which I promise to be present, God says, a future in which my wisdom is available and I will be with you. That's how we have to look at these ruins. We have to say, what's next? And kicking around in the ruins, we say, what's, what's worth saving and what's worth rebuilding? Some of what was lost should stay lost forever. Okay? Some of the things that got broken up in our lives, some of the traditions or patterns that we had weren't healthy to begin with, and we need to prayerfully come before the Father and ask the Holy Spirit to identify those patterns in our lives so that that which is broken can stay broken and never return, right? You, if you ask the Spirit, He will begin to help you understand which things never should return. Some of our coping mechanisms to get through COVID have established patterns that should not continue into the future, okay? Those are things that weren't lost in the brokenness, but things that popped up to help us cope with this. So, you know, I've done three or four jigsaw puzzles during this time because there were candidly times when we needed to fill the time. Couldn't do any of the normal things we did, and it takes time to readjust and, and to build a life, but... As much fun as doing three or four jigsaw puzzles, if you develop the pattern of every night doing a jigsaw puzzle from six to nine, that's something that should stay in the past. 
because there's meaningful work to do in the days that are coming. And so there may have been coping mechanisms or things that you did, maybe an increased reliance on social media. I'm not saying what it might be, but I'm saying those coping mechanisms, they need to stay back there in the past as well. And we're now poised at a place where we can begin to see some light at the end of the COVID tunnel. Vaccines are starting to arrive. We may be in this four, five, six months more. No one knows, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. And so it's time to ask our question, what is next? What will we rebuild? How will we invest our energy so that what we rebuild is better than what was lost? It's really important that we face that question. In reading commentaries about this particular part of Isaiah, I read Klaus Westermann's uh, book on Isaiah 56 to 66. And one of the things he observes is his surprise that one of the commands of God was never really put into practice by Israel. He says, there's no documentary evidence that Israel ever actually celebrated a year of Jubilee. I thought, oh, that's interesting. You, you remember the, ju- the year of Jubilee concept. Every seventh year was a Sabbath year. And you, you didn't plant the crops, and there were a bunch of things that happened to, to mark the seventh year, a Sabbath year. And then in the seventh set of seven years, the next year was the year of Jubilee. It was a, a line in the sand. Slaves were all freed. Property lines returned to their ancestral borders. Debts were forgiven. Everyone in Israel gets a fresh, clean start. The slate is wiped clear. It's something that's meant to, an- to, to, to anchor hope in the lives of all Israelis. Every 50 years, We all start over. But there's no documentary evidence that it ever actually happened in Israel. People who had gained in power and wealth and influence just, I guess, didn't permit it to happen. If you don't forgive the debts, they're not really forgiven. And and by not doing that, they obliterate hope from folks in Israel. I think the Jubilee year is designed to put into play a practice where my grandparents can't mess up so badly that it messes up the lives of the grandchildren, right? You don't get this generational cycles of poverty and despair because everything gets set back to a level playing field. And and Israel has the wisdom of God here, but does not use it, okay? And I'm asking ourselves, us, As we move into this new future, as we begin to rebuild, are there areas where we have the wisdom of God and we just haven't been paying attention? Are there things that we're we're just not doing? Are we gonna take time to ask the Father that question? Did I, had I built a life that was just ignoring some of the basic commands of God? Am I going to end up building on shaky plans for the future? Or am I going to trust that God will help me? Am I going to take the time to hear what he has to say? Am I going to take time to grieve the losses, having identified them? 
and then trust that God will move with me into the future he has desired for me. Not just for you individually, but for your family and for your neighbors and for your community, those who are in need around you, for this church body, for the body of Christ broadly in our town and in our state and beyond. Will we step into the future with God or are we just going to sit around in the rubble and grieve what is lost and never receive the help of the Spirit to move through it and out of it? The time to start thinking about that is now. The time to start thinking about that is right now. And over the next couple of weeks, I'd like to spend some time thinking about what it means to rebuild and what it means to consider what God might be doing uh, in our midst. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we desperately need your insight. We need your comfort. We need your wisdom. We need your direction for the days that are ahead. Forgive us for the things that we've built in our lives that aren't pleasing to you. Help us by your spirit's guidance to dismantle or discard any of those things. And give us your wisdom for rebuilding, we pray. Father, I especially pray now for those who are in the grip of depression, who have no sense of hope, who perhaps can't see you. And I pray that the light of Christ will pierce the deepest gloom. And that once again, we will remember that you are the light of the world and that you are our hope, that you are the way, the truth, the life, that you are the resurrection, that you are the door, that you are the shepherd of the sheep, that you are the bread of life, that in you, all that we need, we can find. Give us confidence again. Renew us, we pray, gracious Lord. And in the days ahead, reveal to us your wisdom in your direction so that we might rebuild according to your blueprints. Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me as we close this morning? I need you, oh, I need you every hour. I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you.
Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, Oh God, how I need you. May you know the sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit. May his comfort be real and tangible in your lives. May your ability to hear his voice be heightened day by day so that our lives may now and always reflect his glory. Amen.